Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Sam Walton, Made in America. This seminal work chronicles the extraordinary journey of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, as he transitions from a humble boy in Oklahoma to becoming one of the world's wealthiest individuals. Through unyielding determination and a relentless customer-first approach, Walton transforms a modest variety store into a global business behemoth. Made in America, released in 1992, is a heartening testament to Walton's rags-to-riches story that illuminates the corridors of entrepreneurial growth and successful business practices. Beyond an encapsulation of Walton's life and the expansion of Walmart, the book is an ode to the quintessential American dream, embodying the narrative of hard work, ambition, and triumph over adversity. Sam Walton, who sadly passed away in 1992, laid the foundation for Walmart, a retail giant whose sales in 2015 touched nearly $500 billion. Contributing to this biography is John Huey, a distinguished writer and publishing executive, noted for his previous role as editor-in-chief for Time magazine. This book is particularly enlightening for executives seeking effective business tactics, entrepreneurs aspiring to broaden their horizons, or anyone intrigued by the inspiring accounts of an American dream fulfilled. Enjoy the insights and inspiration as we journey through Sam Walton, Made in America. Sam Walton, Made in America, My Story. Introduction. Dive into the life of Sam Walton, the man who revolutionized retail. When Sam Walton passed away in 1992, he left behind a legacy as one of the wealthiest individuals the world had ever seen. But don't be mistaken, this retail magnate's story is far from a tale of silver spoons and inherited fortune. Walton came from humble beginnings, and it was the lessons of frugality, hard work, and creativity absorbed in his early days that shaped the monumental success story of his brainchild, Walmart. Let's delve into the illuminating journey of Walton's life and the eye-opening business principles he developed and nurtured. Follow us as we trace his path from the inception of his first dime store to the zenith of the Walmart empire and the game-changing strategies he introduced along the way. In this summary, you'll explore how an enlightening journey to England redefined Walton's outlook towards his employees, the curious tale of why Walton performed a hula dance right in the heart of Wall Street, and the story behind Walton's ingenious cashier system, which has now become an industry norm. Part 1. Sam Walton, a product of the Great Depression, who learned the true essence of hard work. In the humble surroundings of Kingfisher, Oklahoma, in 1918, Sam Walton was born into a lower-income family. His family didn't have much wealth, but his parents ensured Sam experienced a childhood filled with love and lessons. Thomas Walton, Sam's father, was the epitome of honesty and diligence. He wore many hats and switched jobs frequently to make ends meet. With a proud man's staunch refusal to plunge into the world of loans or debt, Thomas never ventured into establishing his own enterprise. 
This was a reality that resonated deeply with Sam, nudging him to borrow capital later when he aimed to set up his own business. On the other side of the coin, Sam's mother, Nan, embodied the spirit of entrepreneurship. She continually thought outside the box and devised schemes to supplement the family income. In the throes of the Great Depression, around the late 1920s and early 1930s, Nan initiated a modest milk business. Sam shouldered the responsibility of milking the cows, Nan handled the bottling, and then Sam put on his delivery hat to distribute milk to customers in their locality. These formative experiences underlined the concept of hard work for a young Sam. Witnessing his mother's endeavors to contribute financially to the family, Walton took the plunge into the working world at the tender age of eight. He commenced his earning journey by selling magazine subscriptions door to door, and by the time he entered seventh grade, he was already cycling around town to distribute newspapers. Sam's entrepreneurial spirit shone as he continued to earn and study concurrently, even managing to transform his newspaper route into a blossoming small business by hiring helpers. This venture amassed an impressive annual revenue of around $5,000. All these early experiences nurtured an indelible understanding in Sam Walton's mind. Hard work reaps dividends. Consequently, when Walton was on the threshold of launching his first business endeavor at the age of 27, he was armed with the wisdom that success is achieved by those who are unafraid to roll up their sleeves and put in the necessary labor. Part 2. Walton's Secret to Success Unapologetically Borrowing Great Ideas from Others When Sam Walton, at the ripe age of 27, set up his premier discount store, Walton's 5 Corv 10, in 1945, he knew he had room to grow. Sure, the store was doing well, but Walton yearned for more. He began studying his competition keenly, cherry-picking their successful sales strategies and fusing them into his own business operations. This knack for borrowing and improvising led to spectacular results. So much so that many of these strategies are now hailed as conventional wisdom in the retail industry. In the 1940s, a typical practice for discount stores was to scatter multiple cashiers across the shop floor. However, on a visit to a Minnesota-based store, Walton observed a unique setup. Only two checkout counters, both situated at the front. Walton was quick to incorporate this unconventional strategy into his store, leading to tangible cost savings by cutting down on the number of cashiers. Another eureka moment came when Walton observed a competitor utilizing wooden shelves for product display. This sparked an idea. He could save more by replacing the wooden shelves with metal ones. Yes, the aesthetic appeal took a minor hit, but the strategic move allowed Walton to undercut his competitors' prices. Walton's successful career was punctuated with an unwavering habit of embracing good business practices regardless of their origin. In 1975, during a visit to a supplier's office, Walton was intrigued by their practice of starting the day with a company cheer. This simple act invigorated the employees, boosting their morale considerably. Seeing its benefits, Walton decided to introduce his very own Walmart cheer at the flagship store in Bentonville, Arkansas. The enthusiasm that the cheer generated amongst employees was so infectious that when President George H.W. Bush visited a Walmart store, the staff performed the cheer for him. 
Walton took pride in witnessing the surprise and delight on the president's face at the palpable zeal of his staff, a testament to the power of borrowed ideas. Part 3. Walton's customer-centric ethos was at the heart of his success, but it was not without its detractors. From his early business experiences, Sam Walton understood the crucial mantra, to excel in competition, he needed to invest in his customers. Right after launching Walton's 5 and 10, he went as far as procuring an $1,800 loan to add an ice cream machine to the store. A delightful treat for his customers. But Walton's endeavors to charm his customers didn't stop there. He was always in pursuit of innovative ways to appeal to his patrons. Witnessing the regular Saturday ritual of farm families venturing into town to navigate a maze of specialty stores to buy their necessities, Walton had a brainwave. He decided to keep his store open longer than others and provide a broader range of goods. This convenience factor became a significant draw for his customers. This customer-first strategy was the beating heart of Walton's business philosophy. It was in full display when he unveiled his 18th Walmart in 1969, boasting an irresistible cocktail of low prices, extended operating hours, and free parking elements that had customers flocking to the store. However, his methods weren't universally applauded. Critics accused Walton of jeopardizing the survival of small businesses with his aggressive tactics. But Walton's perspective was different. He believed he wasn't to blame if a Walmart store's arrival spelled doom for local shops. After all, he argued, customers choose where to shop of their own free will. If they opted for Walmart, it was a testament to them feeling more catered to at his store than at the local outlets. Walton even posited that his customer-centric approach helped smaller businesses. He recounted an incident in Wheat Ridge, Colorado, where the proprietor of a local paint store thanked the manager of a recently opened Walmart. The reason? Walmart's paint department was directing customers to her store whenever they were unable to find their desired products at Walmart. This occurrence, Walton believed, was an affirmation of his customer-first ideology, that Walmart cared so deeply for its customers' satisfaction, it was willing to let go of potential sales. This approach became Walton's lodestar, guiding him throughout his illustrious career. Part 4. Competition never daunted Walton. Instead, he saw it as a catalyst to make Walmart resilient and innovative. Sam Walton's business philosophy prompts an intriguing question. Why shrink away from competition when it could be the very stimulus that drives your business to greater heights? Indeed, it was Walton's habit of keeping a vigilant eye on his competition that allowed him to formulate trailblazing sales tactics. One of the most notable instances of this was during the 1970s when a new Walmart store was established, going head-to-head with a Kmart in the same town. With Kmart boasting a whopping 1,500 stores compared to Walmart's modest 150, Walton was well aware of the uphill task his brand faced to draw customers. In response, the Walmart store manager, Phil, came up with a bold promotional strategy, a massive $1 off sale on Tide laundry detergent. The campaign required a staggering 3,500 cases of detergent, which, when displayed together, created a promotional display measuring 12 by 100 feet. Walton's initial reaction was incredulity, believing Phil had gone off the deep end. Yet, 
Recognizing the potential payoff, Walton eventually warmed up to the audacious idea. His gamble paid off, with the promotion becoming a roaring success, drawing customers and making quite the splash. Walton admitted that had it not been for Kmart's competitive presence, they wouldn't have felt the need to pull off such an extravagant promotion. And now, these tactics are integral to Walmart's business methodology. Competition like this ultimately benefits the customer. In 1977, a Walmart in Little Rock, Arkansas, was threatened by a newly opened Kmart in close proximity. This rival was slashing prices so dramatically that Walton was compelled to respond. He instructed his store manager to price match every single item with Kmart, if not undercut them. In the ensuing price war, toothpaste plummeted to an unprecedented low of six cents. But Walton didn't balk, and ultimately, Kmart relented, unable to match the fierce competitive pricing of Walmart. This showdown was a valuable learning experience for Walton. When a formidable competitor arrives on the scene, Walmart must ensure its prices are as low as possible to keep customers satisfied and loyal. Part 5. Walton evolved from merely having employees to cultivating a team of valued associates. It's no secret that Sam Walton was a champion for his customers. However, this emphasis on customer value wasn't initially extended to his employees. For a substantial period, Walton was known for his penny-pinching tendencies, a trait ingrained in him from his humble roots. Unfortunately, this led to a certain stinginess when it came to compensating his employees. One notable example occurred in 1955 when Walton received a call from Charlie Baum, one of his store managers. Baum had decided to raise the hourly wage for his clerks from 50 to 75 cents. While these figures might seem meager even for those times, Walton's thriftiness prevailed. Because Baum's store hadn't yet reached Walton's target of a 6% profit margin, he ordered Baum to revoke the pay raises. However, a trip to England in 1971 would forever change Walton's perspective on his relationship with his staff. During this trip, Walton found inspiration in the sign of an English store, the Lewis Company, J.M. Lewis Partnership. Listed beneath this were the names of all the store's associates. This sparked an idea in Walton's mind. What if Walmart could function in partnership with its associates, instead of simply dictating orders to employees? Upon his return to the States, Walton quickly set the wheels in motion to turn his vision into a reality. He announced that Walmart's employees would now be referred to as associates. However, Walton understood that words alone couldn't convey his newfound appreciation for his staff. So, he initiated a profit-sharing plan for his associates, which included stock options and cash bonuses. This move meant that every associate could partake in the fruits of Walmart's success, cementing the transition from mere employees to valued partners. Part 6. Walton capitalized on his wins and converted his missteps into valuable lessons. Through the course of his career, Sam Walton learned to embrace the waves of success without letting them sweep him off his feet. He valued celebrations, using them as a stepping stone to ride the tide of momentum towards future victories. But equally important, he acknowledged his failures and viewed them as opportunities to learn and grow. 
one of his biggest blunders, nearly resulted in the demise of his company. It was 1974, and Walmart was riding high on a wave of success. Reflecting on the company's robust performance, Walton thought it might be time to step aside and enjoy the fruits of his labor. In his attempt to step back, Walton promoted one of his executive vice presidents, Ron Mayer, to the role of CEO. This decision, however, stoked resentment amongst his staff, particularly Ferald Arend, the other vice president. The tides quickly shifted within the company as the staff divided into two camps, one supporting Mayer and the other favoring Arend. Recognizing the brewing storm, Walton had a meeting with Mayer in 1976 and admitted his premature retirement was a grave error. He wanted his position back. The aftermath of this meeting is now infamously known as the Saturday Massacre. Mayer, along with dozens of senior managers who supported him, left the company, leading to a drastic drop in Walmart's stock prices. Walton found himself at a crossroads, unsure if he could salvage the company from the brink of collapse. Despite this catastrophe, Walton did not bow down. With a steely resolve, he immediately filled the vacant positions with new managers and persuaded an old acquaintance, David Glass, to step into Mayer's shoes. This decision proved to be a game-changer. Glass, with his exceptional skills, steered the company out of the crisis. Under his leadership, Walmart saw an unexpected turnaround, with sales skyrocketing almost instantly. Eight years later, Walton found himself celebrating a milestone he had deemed impossible. In 1984, Walmart hit a record pre-tax profit of 8%. Walton had earlier wagered a bet with Glass that this would never happen. True to his word when he lost the bet, Walton took to Wall Street donned in a Hawaiian outfit, performing a hula dance to the tune of ukulele players. The press was astounded to see such a successful CEO engaging in such whimsical antics, but Walton maintained that it embodied the Walmart philosophy, striking the perfect balance between hard work and joyous celebration. Part 7, Walton appreciated the significance of making a difference in the community. Sam Walton faced his fair share of scrutiny throughout his career. One such criticism pointed out his sparse charitable contributions, but Walton believed that this judgment missed the mark. Education held a special place in Walton's heart, and he regularly invested his resources into it. He understood that to succeed in the future workforce of America, individuals needed to be equipped with the highest quality education. By doing so, they could acquire the skills necessary to maintain a competitive edge in a constantly evolving marketplace. By 1992, the Walton family had awarded around 70 university scholarships annually to children of Walmart associates. However, Walton's philanthropy wasn't restricted to the United States alone. In the early 1990s, he sponsored 180 Central American children with scholarships to American universities. Walton hoped that these students, equipped with a robust education, could eventually return to their home countries and apply their newfound knowledge to address their nation's economic issues. His broader vision was to ensure that there would be skilled individuals ready to manage future Walmart branches in Central American countries like Honduras and Nicaragua. 
Walton also argued that Walmart's very existence was a form of charity in itself. He asserted that Walmart's customer-focused approach was a significant boon to the communities it served. By keeping prices exceptionally low, Walmart had helped communities save billions of dollars every year. The figures speak for themselves. Between 1982 and 1992, Walmart sold products worth roughly $130 billion. If his store managed to save customers an average of 10% on prices, which is a conservative estimation, this would imply that over the span of that decade, customers saved more than $13 billion. These savings could potentially help Walmart's customers enhance their quality of life, particularly those in rural areas who would otherwise have to rely on pricier small-town merchants. Final summary. The central lesson from this book, Sam Walton's humble local store blossomed into a global retail powerhouse under his leadership. The secret behind this exponential growth was Walton's unwavering commitment to prioritizing customers' needs, even if it meant directing them to another store. He perceived competition not as a threat, but as a catalyst to facilitate business growth. And as his enterprise expanded, Walton never lost sight of his responsibility towards his employees. He saw them as his partners and treated them with the respect and recognition they deserved. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.